All right, and I'm going off of my hotspot right now, so hopefully this will work. You've not got internet in America. You come back in time. And uh, it's just because I have a weird living situation, and we did a handoff, and I was just like, eh, I'll just like figure it out later. Alex Trost, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So I have two separate but related questions to start us off here, which I think are very important. First one is, why horses? And then second is, horses, why? Most people just ask one question, and they're only getting half the story, honestly. So that's a very good way to start it. For a little bit of context, I think, for the 99% of people listening who are saying, uh, did I choose the wrong podcast here? I run a... It's, it's becoming a multi-conglomerate thing. It's a newsletter and a blog and now a stream, a, a live stream on Twitch called Front End Horse. We focus primarily on front end development and especially on creative coding. The domain is frontend.horse. It is called Front End Horse because that's a domain and that's really funny to me that you can get a dot horse domain and so the branding was built in rather than doing Alex Trost's weekly front end newsletter, front end horse. Let's just let's just run with it. So that's the entire reason. I don't know how to ride a horse especially well. I've been on like three in my life. I, I did fine. I don't think they, they took to me that the horses didn't seem to especially care for me. But yeah, I think horses are a fine animal and there's plenty of puns and rodeo jokes that you can make. And that's right up my alley. Well, you didn't even mention what's funny. The I think the most important thing, which is your Discord, like that's actually uh, where I've gotten to know you is the front end horse Discord as well, which I think has come after your kind of branding. And that's for me, the first kind of Discord I've found that has been similar to the React Podcast Discord and that it's not really based around an open source project. It's not based around like a company's product. It's pretty much just a bunch of people who get together and enjoy creating stuff and enjoy sharing that stuff with each other and getting feedback and like learning from each other. So I love the front end horse Discord. I think it's a wonderful corner of the internet that I really enjoy hanging out in. When did the Discord start that was like after the newsletter and stuff like that? The Discord kind of came about as more of a necessity, right? Like as you're starting things on the internet these days, especially because uh, I started Front End Horse during the pandemic. So like May of 2020, I'm like, let's start a newsletter. You know, like not much else to do. Starting a Discord is just a thing people do. But I really held off because the need wasn't there. There, there wasn't that clear need of people are asking for a Discord. People seem to want this. It feels like a lot of people... And this isn't a slight on anyone, but lots of folks start up too much where it's like, oh, we're on Instagram and we're on Clubhouse. We've got a Discord and we've got a Slack like, and you can't maintain all of that. And so people show up to one of those and it's like, OK, this is a ghost town. This whole brand, this whole this whole entire thing must also be a ghost town, right? Like, like they see one thing and they say, oh, this is a representation of the entirety of it. So I held off for a while until we started doing a lot of streaming. I just started getting the most fantastic people to join the streams. I was just streaming about creative coding. And I'm not I'm not a great developer at all in any regard. But I am curious. And I like to 
learn from especially creative developers where they make some really cool stuff on CodePen. Like if you've ever spent like the afternoon digging through CodePen and just finding some stuff where you're like, how is this all CSS? I couldn't do this with JavaScript and with a team of people helping me. How did this person do this all with just one div? Huh? And you start to dig through and you're just more curious because you don't know some of that stuff. I started the newsletter around that where I started asking questions of like, hey, can you show me how you you made this incredible piece of like creative code? I felt selfish if I did that just from my own knowledge, right? Like I, I couldn't DM someone and be like, hey, teach me this. But you can say, hi, I'd like to write about you in my newsletter. Can you answer some of my questions about it? And they go, sure, right? Like, And then you feel better and you share it out. We've been doing that on stream. Some fantastic people have started showing up over and over again. And I didn't want to stop talking to them once the stream ended. So it was like, all right, this is a need for like a community that's kind of popping up. I love the way you described it of just like a bunch of people getting together to share things and learn from each other. And it's not like it's a fan club of the stream or anything like that. It's just we have some things in common around front end development and around being just friendly, nice, helpful people. And hey, let's all kind of hang out. Discord is one of these things that I've used it always in like small circles. And then I find out my 13-year-old brother uses Discord. I look at his Discord list and he's like 40 servers that each one has like loads of people. And he's like, do you even know these people? He's like, no, create a server and people join. And I chat to people. I'm like, what are these kids doing these days? Just talking to randomers on the internet through Discord. And he's like, yes, yes, they do. And Roblox, Fortnite or Minecraft is normally the connecting thing to all of it. If you know, if you have kids, I don't have kids. It's the new Club Penguin is what it is. It's Neopets or Club Penguin for 2021. Absolutely. Neopets, that's a good one. That was way before Christmas time. I know what Neopets is. Don't you worry. My mom played that. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) But what I did want to say, dot horse as a TLD. I don't think I've heard that one before now. There's no horsing around it. It's quite a good one. You got to come out of the gate right away with the puns. It's just uh, just how it has to be. It's actually funny. I thought it was especially a funny domain name because, and I said this like exact phrase, I would say this to people and I had to revise it and I can't say this anymore now. But I would say, yeah, it's a hilarious domain name. There's no dot dog. There's no dot cat, but they have dot horse. They skipped those and went to dot horse. And then one day Cassidy Williams emails me after I said that in a newsletter. She goes, yeah, no, 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 no. There's a dot dog and dot horse. Like those exist. And I've been like, I was saying that for a year. I was telling people for a year, like like that exact like joke of like, there's not this, there's not this, but there's that horse. I was lying to everyone. TLDs are one of these things. It's like, how have we got to this point? When is it normalized to just be like, in a business use, just be like, oh, uh, yeah, just go to a website, horseracing.horse, you know, or whatever, racing.horse. And developers are like, wow, this is cool, you know? But other people, people who are not techie are just like, Dot horse? Are you sure that's right? What? That goes somewhere? For that reason, I, I have frontendhorse.com also. Oh, also, you got to get the dot com. That's just step one of doing anything. If it's available, you get it. But also forward that to the funnier domain. Or if it's out of your price range, just hope and pray that no one else buys it. Yes. So you have a great background in terms of teaching, which for me is something that I always enjoy talking about because I'm someone who is a teacher as well. And 
you told this story on Jamstack Radio of just loving teaching as an activity, loving that light bulb moment and seeing that in the kids, but then seeing the school system and just being like, well, I can't do this either financially or morally or ethically. It was just not a, a system you wanted to kind of contribute to. And so that was something that I, I really, really resonated with. I'd be curious what you feel like you've taken away from like your teaching career into this whole new tech thing you're doing. Yeah, I think you summed it up really well with just kids are delightful. Kids are fantastic. The system is not supporting them very well here in America. They're not supporting teachers at all. I think the pandemic just now showed that to an even worse degree, just how little support teachers have. And yeah, it's the toughest gig that you could possibly think of. They need all the support. But in terms of like how I'm still using the education degree, it's funny, I have a design associates and a bachelor's in education doing development is just not at all that but that stuff comes in handy still and that's one thing that i like to like emphasize for people coming into tech whatever you've done whatever the heck you've been doing it comes in handy if you've been slinging excel spreadsheets and doing stuff like that like you're gonna understand databases and like how to do stuff here in development like really no matter what you've been doing you can bring some skills to the table especially in the development relations field i've been using the education background a lot and also with the uh, newsletter and the stream really thinking deeply about how we learn and the best ways to teach rather than people watching a thing or reading something and just kind of like passively taking it in asking questions so like i've i've added some features to my stream where people can like type in like i wonder can redwood hook up to a cms or is it all just one thing and then towards the end of the stream we check in on those questions and if they haven't been answered we answer them and i know that's not a thing where like oh every other thing has has a chat function every other stream can do that but it's more about like intentionally carving out that space for it and saying like i want your questions. I want you to share those out. We're going to make a special screen just so we can capture those. And then at the end, you can also share what you've learned and it puts your name next to it, like on a specific page, just creating spaces for those kinds of things and telling the audience, this is valued. I want you to be learning here if you want, but like, this is a learning space. And here are some tools to facilitate that a bit more. Creating that safe space to ask questions in general is such a huge thing and is what I find has been really valuable as a teacher because there's that kind of certain action I have to put on of like, oh, like I know all the things, you know, because like I'm a senior dev. Being vulnerable enough to ask a question that shows your ignorance on a topic can be very hard to do. You have to make sure that like people know that everyone has questions no matter how long you've been doing this and that's where people like you and me who kind of come into this and just had to totally start from zero and had to ask every single obvious question that you could possibly think of because we had to learn it all just totally from scratch and we had to be comfortable doing that as an adult coming into this whole thing that's one of the things that just makes you really appreciate your whole community and your whole deal. And that's why I enjoy just like podcasts and putting myself out there as someone who is always asking questions. Like my job is to ask questions as a podcaster, you know, I would be curious 
how you create that with like your stream setup because i think this is something that some streams have a hard time with is like making sure that the chat is even seen period because i know like sometimes when you're using like Streamyard and you're on like a laptop if you're just like sharing your screen like you can't even see the chat so creating something where like everyone can see the chat that you're responding to the chat like how do you optimize your setup to make that work it's interesting. It's definitely been an iterative process for the stream. And just first off, I do want to say what you just said about being vulnerable or just showing I don't have everything memorized. I mean, like, I sometimes need to ask my guests for help writing like a for loop just because I don't write for loops all the time. And when I do, I use the shorthand in VS Code. Like I start typing for, I hit enter, it's done for me. It's small stuff like that where like, yes, I can remember. But when you're when you've got a, a full audience watching you and you're just like, oh boy, that imposter syndrome starts to kick in. And you're like, if I can't do a for loop on air, everyone's going to know. They're going to know, right? It starts to kind of hit getting comfortable with that and communicating to the audience, hey, I forget stuff. Everyone forgets stuff, right? Like, it's all right. I think that makes everything feel a bit better and also sets the guests at ease, I feel. Before we go live, I let them know like, hey, we've got a really supportive chat. They're there to help us out. They always help me out. No one's expecting you to be flawless here. We're just happy to have you. And I want this to be a very low pressure, but high enjoyment kind of experience for you. If we get stuck, it's no sweat. I didn't do that at first because I didn't know to. It got a bit more intense and I could tell the guests were a little bit more on edge. But now when I say that, they seem to be fine with the debugging process and chat is as fantastic as I said, and they come in and help out and it's a lot more enjoyable. But in terms of like setting up the chat so that the guests can see, like, yeah, that's definitely intentional. And it's also intentional in the sense that I kick my recordings to YouTube once they're done because Twitch doesn't save them more than a couple of weeks. And so I want to make sure that you don't get the experience on YouTube of like, oh, good point, chat. Chat, that, that's a great question. And then the person watching it goes, what's the question? I have no idea. What is he talking about? Because I've, I've experienced that a ton of times where it's just like, that's very funny, chat. That's the funniest thing. I've ever read. And you're just sitting there going, what was said? I would love to know. So yeah, it, it kind of helps out the future viewer and also the guest because I don't want to have them have 20 windows open. It's just a bit easier there that they can see my screen and also the chat. It's a super hard thing. As you know, live streaming something is, it's really hard. My biggest thing that always annoys me when I'm team viewing with someone or viewing their screen or their viewing mine is when I say, just click that. You know, just click the preview button and, and it's like, where's the preview button? It's like, it's, it's right there. When you use something every day, you're like, I can see it. And then someone's using it once in a while. It's like, has it been moved? Where is it? I've lost it. And it's like, it's on your screen. We're all different and we all learn at different speeds. The biggest thing I've learned since doing this podcast is that the most stupidest questions are normally the ones people are burning to know the answer to. Sometimes someone just needs to say it. It takes guts to be like, I don't know the answer to this. Like, I run a fintech company and I'm asking stupid questions about the blockchain. Like, what is this? It still, it personally gripes me. Everybody has different learning rates. It's the tree knowledge, isn't it? That somebody may be really, really knowledge in certain areas. Other people may not be. And if you can just help them grow a little bit, and that's really cool. I did want to go back to the CSS topic quickly. When you said about code pens and you said about like half the stuff people make on them out of CSS, most of the time I'm like, wait, CSS can do more than border rounding and background color. 
how do you even do this? Cassie Evans, she's got some really good tutorials. And it's just that thing, when you see the end product, you're like, how do they even do that? And then you're like, okay, this is the breakdown. You're like, some of them I've looked at, I'm like, okay, I got it. And now I'm going to write my own name and be like, how do I do that? Because <laughs> they're so complex. But one of the other things I did want to really bring up is these isometric characters, items that are really the latest fashion trend in design. What do you think of them? Do you think they're here to stay? The quirky of the quirky? You mean like the flat illustrations? The ones that look 3D, like Josh Como. Uh, you've got them on your website. Everybody seems to have them these days. Yeah, I think it's definitely an up and coming trend, if not already peaked. I like to think that December of last year, I, I might have been slightly ahead of the trend, but not by much. It's tough to say. I don't think any trend is going to stay. I think as soon as you say it's a trend, it's like, well, that's by definition means it's going to go. I think it's a nice change from the flat illustrations. And for anyone who's trying to picture it, it's just basically rendering something in Blender. That's what I use to make the little horse. Josh, I think, got his originally created by someone else, but then he picked up Blender. And now he's, he's using it. He can pick stuff up and he's a very talented person. Got him on the stream in a little bit. I'm pretty excited about that. I can't remember, but there's an article out there saying why does every startup look like this and it's literally the flat design it's like it's really hard to illustrate people and objectives and personality and emotion so we all just kind of have these faceless things that are sitting there trying to say something these days yeah like how do you show trello in an image right it's like oh you have people picking up giant cards and putting them on a giant wall like that's about as good of a metaphor as people can handle it's a artistic representation especially for things that get even more complex. Like, how do you do one from e-commerce? Man holding money, man giving away money. And that's why I think like isometric, is it called isometric? The isometric is something different, yeah. No, it's the one you've got. It's more like a 3D. 3D, yeah, yeah. Like a rendered sort of thing. Rendered. I have no clue how you actually made them, but you said Blender. And then I'm like, how do you put Blender on the page, on web pages? I guess they're just PNGs after. Exactly. Yeah. So Blender is where I uh, modeled. His name is Nathan because that's a pun. My wife actually came up with that. Only pun that she shipped to the site, but it's it's a good one. His name is Nathan. I just modeled him out in, in Blender because I can't draw, but I can do 3D modeling. So that's my like hack around not being able to draw characters and textured and the, you light them and then you render out an image and it's kind of like CGI type stuff or like video games, I guess. It's that same kind of technology. It's dead cool. Thank you for giving that explanation. I've literally looked at every single one of them like, how do they do that? Is there like tutorials on this? And it's like, am I going to have to learn this? Yeah, Blender's a lot of fun. And then it's, what's the right search terms? Because we've both just said 3D character thingies. Modeling and texturing in Blender will get you very far. If you're on a donut tutorial, you're probably doing well. That tutorial has served a lot of people well. There you go. Make your startup with 3D models. You're also a developer advocate at Prismic. Developer experience engineer, I believe is the preferred nomenclature. I did not choose either of those terms, but yes, the one that is on, on my title thing is developer experience engineer. Yes. I am on a fantastic team over at Prismic. Prismic is a headless component-based CMS. So I'm on a great team. I'm focusing more on React, Next.js, and Gatsby. But for the most part, I've been doing a lot of work through kind of having people on the stream that can teach us. And Prismic has been fantastic in kind of 
supporting the stream and making it more about how can we help the community? So that's been the driving force of like, I work in Prismic when it makes sense for the show. To people who have seen the show, I hope they would agree that it's not really a ham-fisted attempt at like, all right, everything is Prismic. We're doing something completely unrelated and Prismic, right? Like, Yeah, that's my stream. That's how I handle it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. I'm not at all trying to crap on other streams or anything like that. It's just, I'm very happy with how Prismic definitely just wants to give back to the community and sees that as a smart way to kind of make an influence on this Jamstack space and then hopefully bring people in and get their feedback, see what problems they have and try to help with those problems. I think that's a much better way to reach people than just coming out and saying, hi, Prismic is the best thing for all of your use cases and you don't need anything else and we're going to shove it into stuff where it doesn't really make sense. So a lot of the times we're doing creative coding because I'm really curious about creative coding and my audience likes it and we don't always use Prismic with those. We sometimes can fit it in like we did an Auth0 and Prismic stream with James Q Quick thought that went pretty great. That seemed to fit. But sometimes when it's learning about something else, Cassie Evans comes on and she talks about Greensock. That doesn't really always include Prismic. So it's just because it tends to work that way. My big first question with Prismic is headless CMS, two very big buzzwords. How is Prismic different? If someone doesn't know what a headless CMS, first off, if you think of WordPress, that is a CMS that also comes with your front end. So it's kind of like this monolithic architecture that kind of includes everything out of the box. And it becomes kind of a pain if you want to, say, work React components into that front end or just kind of do anything that isn't already within the WordPress ecosystem there. A headless CMS allows you to just use it for your content and then it exposes an API and then you can get that data from pretty much anything, whether you want to use a Next.js front end, Nuxt, Gatsby, like whatever your, your favorite framework is, you can use that and plug it into that headless CMS. Or if you need to send that data to a few different places, if you've got a big company that has a lot of like smaller websites and that API needs to be kind of taken in by a few different pages, that's fine because that headless CMS is just an API as far as your front end is concerned. In terms of what makes Prismic different, Prismic is different because we really focus on what we call slices, and that's really page sections that your editors can move around. So say you have a hero slice and you have like a team slice and a content slice, your editors can choose which one of those that they need to make the page you're essentially giving them these like building blocks that they can then create as many pages as they want. And they never need to call back in the developer to say, hey, we want to ship a, a new sales page. Can you put a hero at the top and some content here? They have that ability within the CMS. You might be saying, well, yeah, like a Wix can ship a page builder. We're used to page builders with those other kinds of services. But the beauty here is that you aren't shipping a Wix front end. You're shipping your like lean, specifically tailored Next.js front end or your Gatsby front end, whatever front end that you are choosing to ship because you're the developer, you know how to do your job. The headless CMS gives your editors that power to do their job. And we are making it so that you are shipping a page builder when you ship with Prismic. I've been on a CMS crusade of lately, trying 
Almost all of them. It's been really eye-opening in a good way and a bad way of like eye-opening because I also went back to WordPress and tried it with their Gutenberg editor that's now released and it's just the modern WordPress editor. I was actually blown away by WordPress and that's honest to God, I tried the editor and was like, wow, this is just so easy. Do you know to just put content on a page? And I was blown away. I was like, wow, I feel like we've overcomplicated it with these headless CMSs. Then I try headless CMS again, because obviously a company's built in it. I'm like, no, I totally get this. This is good. This is great. And then I go back to WordPress. I'm like, no, but this is really good though. I'm building a WordPress plugin for my company at the same time. So I'm editing, testing WordPress, but why also editing the marketing stuff on our website? And it's and it's just this thing of like, there's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. It's all a delicate dance between marketeers who don't know what technology is and developers who love structured data. And that's CMSs for you, in my eyes. Yeah, there's a, no question there. I'm curious how you access Prismic. You have like REST APIs, you have GraphQL APIs, you have something called the Tags API, and then like a Custom Types API. If I'm someone, I'm a developer, I come to Prismic, I just want to use it. What kind of stuff should I be like looking at? We've got a couple kits that make it really easy to query with Prismic. For the most part, I would recommend our REST API and whatever language you're using, whatever framework you're using, we've got some kind of a kit that's going to make it really easy. We have been working on a new development workflow called Slice Machine. This brings all of the developer process to your local machine, speeds it up an incredible amount and makes it so that you're building out your custom types, which is essentially your data models right there on a local development environment. You version control all of your data so that we're basically bringing the things that you would normally do on prismic.io in the editor there. But anything that a developer would do there, we're bringing that locally so that we can really optimize the editor environment for editors and then your local development flow so that everything is version controlled right next to your app. And Slice Machine allows you to create those slices I was talking about, those horizontal sections that are essentially big components. If you think about atomic design, it's more of a molecule that helps to build up your, or, or more of an organism rather that helps to build up your page template. But with Slice Machine, it allows you to quickly create and prototype new slices. And it kind of comes with a lot of the batteries included that you would normally need to then wire up things with your API. So like one thing that I personally don't love doing is having to set up the part of a CMS where I am installing the client to connect to my repository on Prismic. And then I'm figuring out how to call for that data. And then I'm figuring out how to pass that data down through my components and exactly like how to wire that all up. Slice Machine takes care of that for you so that it already knows what data you want based off of the slices that you've created. It really makes that whole process frictionless out of the box. Because that's one thing as a developer, I don't want to do for every site. I don't want to have to set up, all oh, right, got to bring in Prismic now. All, all right, I got to install this client. Like just having that set up and then giving you mocks out of the box, giving you thumbnails so that when you ship your slice to your editors, they're not just seeing like a description of like, 
image and text slice, which doesn't tell them anything that describes so many things. Instead, they see a thumbnail of exactly what the component looked like in your storybook, giving all those tools to the developers to not only make their jobs easier, but to make it easier on the editors. I'm super excited about Slice Machine and to kind of come back to the, the original API question, the REST API is built into that through the different kits that we have. There's just a lot of power there. So I would recommend the REST API, but GraphQL is there too, if that's more your thing. The Slice Machine, I think is really interesting concept. What I basically <laughs> brain dumped and forgot my question. Do you think that we're in this middle ground where, as we say, a CMS is one about developing it, as in structuring it, two, it's about the content editors, is this chaotic good of, you have things like Wix and Squarespace that lets you just dump elements onto the page and call it a day. Or you have these more structured datas of like, this is a blog post. Here's all the things and the attributes. Here's what's required. Here's not. not. And it's very like rigid. And then when the person says, I want to put the pricing table in the blog post, the developer goes, you can't do that. And they're like, why not? It's just, it should just go. It's like, well, the blog post doesn't have the relationship to the pricing table and the pricing table doesn't know what the blog, and, and it's just this mess of, we've kind of dug ourselves in my eyes, a massive hole, but then things like these vertical slices is kind of, I think, the way out of it. So my biggest question is, what do you think headless CMSs have gained, but also lost from traditional CMSs? What you just said is exactly, I worked at an agency before Prismic. So having worked alongside editors and clients who come to you and say that kind of thing of like, all right, I want this component, put that over there. And then you've like, if you've worked yourself into a corner where you're like, oh, shoot, we can't do that quickly, at least, right? Like, yeah, we can do that. It's going to be two weeks of work or whatever. But yeah, like you just said, the slices method allows that kind of escape hatch. You create what we call a slice zone and put whatever slices in there. You can repeat them. The pricing table, if you want to add that as a uh, potential slice for that slice zone, sure, they can put that in a blog post. They can put five of them in the blog post. Let them have that free reign. But in terms of what it's gained and what it's lost compared to traditional CMSs, I think that there are definitely strengths and weaknesses to both. I never want to come out and say that any tool is the greatest tool because as soon as, as soon as someone says that you have to go all right this person is clearly selling something they you know like like you, you can't take them at their word anymore and that's what a cms is right it is a tool so in terms of me having to manage i really don't want to sound like i'm hating on wordpress i think wordpress is a fantastically successful and good platform but once again it's just a tool i don't want to manage a wordpress instance i don't want to have to worry about that at all. I, as a front-end developer, want someone else to handle that for me. I just want to spin up a repository for my content, say what my content looks like, and get to work doing the stuff that I like, which is spinning up the Gatsby site or spinning up the Next.js site and working on all that part. I don't do back-end stuff. I don't want to. Allowing for a service to take care of all that stuff for me and not need to worry of like, oh, did WordPress update? Crap, that means our plugins are broken. And I need to go in and fix that stuff. Like having that as not even a thought in my mind is kind of the dream for me personally. Other people want to be able to get in there and tweak every little thing about their 
WordPress instance and, and just get into the guts of that. And I think that would be one big trade-off. If you're using something like Prismic where it is a hosted service for you, you don't have to like send Prismic to a digital ocean droplet or anything. We take care of all that for you. I think that's a huge benefit. But if someone wants to have that kind of control specifically over like the database itself and like go in there and fiddle with it, that's definitely a trade-off that they have to make. Do you have the DevOps capacity or the bandwidth there to handle something if and when it pops up? If not, maybe a hosted headless CMS is for you. If so, and that's something that you're interested in and you need that kind of like deep, rich customization, maybe look at something there that you can get your little paws into. The biggest pro and con that I can see for both of them is one simple word and that's a developer i honestly think it is because we look at things like netlify versal wordpress any headless cms prismic one thing all of these have in common is you kind of need a developer to even just click the button to deploy because if you ask sharon from the local coffee shop oh this whole website's been set up for you but you just got to click this one button and log into Netlify or Vercel. You're pretty much shooting a dead end, I think, personally. But that's where I think WordPress has so much market share and so much staying power is that I'm not a technical person and I need to put a page on the internet that says my opening hours. And I think WordPress will always be around for that. And in terms of CMSs, I think headless CMSs have came so far in that inception of five years. I remember the first headless CMS I ever touched was called Perch by Drew and Rachel. Drew McClellan. Yes. It was, I wanted to say 2014, but I'm not quite sure if it actually was. But this was like this thing. It was like headless CMS. Why do I need that? And it was at that moment. It was like, well, uh, if you want to control everything yourself, that's what you need. But it never really clicked with me until the Jamstack came around. But I still think the Jamstack is so obtuse to brand new companies, for example. So obtuse to people who are not in the know. If you're not in the know, it's still pretty, pretty out there. And there's so many people running your classic lamp architecture and everything. I think the easiest way to get them to transfer over is this middle ground of like, well, you don't want to structure all your data completely because that gets too hard. You want to structure some of it and then slice it all together. And that's why I think we're definitely going to see massive improvements in this area going forward. We like to think of ourselves as a component-based CMS, a headless component-based CMS, because we, we really see that with the rise of React and just with slices and, and components being something that developers and designers and editors can kind of all have a shared language around. Because a lot of times, if you're trying to get those three teams to agree on something, it's pretty difficult. But if you can say like, hey, if the editor asks, hi, I would love a slice that shows off our pricing. As you said, the developer can go, all right, cool. I'll get the designer to whip something up. The designer says, here's the new slice. The developer implements it and builds out the data. And then the editor knows that they can add that to the page wherever they need it. So having like that shared language around that component really helps. And I think if you're not moving towards components in, in that same kind of way, you are holding back your customers, you're holding back the potential for what people can do when they build a website. 
do you think Prismic is going to look at newer kind of frameworks beyond things just like React, Vue, and Svelte? Like, are you looking at things like Solid or anything like that? I'm looking to get the Solid founder on the stream. I think I, I, I need to follow up with him on that. I'm still just, just getting used to Svelte myself. I'm not the earliest of adopters with stuff. But basically, in, in terms of the kits and in terms of like what we really spend a lot of our time on, right now it's been Next, Nuxt, and Gatsby. We're starting to get our Svelte kit together. We've been working on that lately. But we want to make sure that those initial kits are as strong as they can be. We've got a great developer on the team Angelo Ashmore, who actually was making the Gatsby Prismic plugin, and we brought him in-house, and he's been working on it full-time and doing a lot of other improvements to our entire kit architecture, and it's been great seeing what he's brought to the team, working along with another colleague, Lucy, and she's been working on the Nux plugin, and it's been great seeing those get as smooth as possible because they have like the highest adoption, right? If most of our users are using one framework, we want to optimize for that. And still, the clients themselves, like I'm building a Prismic and Astro site just in my spare time, using just the JavaScript client is still really nice. So as long as you're shipping JavaScript, you can absolutely use Prismic and enjoy it. It's just for Nux, there's like a module. I'm not a big Nux developer. I think it's a module. Yeah, Nux, their whole ecosystem, they kind of build in their own specific modules. They have like an Axios module and, and then they have like content modules. And the ones you listed, those frameworks are the big ones to hit for sure. I'm just always curious because as someone who like builds out integrations with frameworks himself, it's always like, how far ahead of the puck do you want to get, you know? Because we can see these trends, we can see the frameworks that are coming up, but if no one's using those frameworks yet, then there's really like not a whole lot of reason to actually invest in them. But really happy to hear that you're going to get Ryan on for the stream. That's going to be a, a really good one that I'll want to check out because Salt's very interesting. We just had him on a couple of days ago to chat with him. So very excited about what he's working on. But we're about at the end of our time here. So thank you so much for being here with us. As I said earlier, I really enjoy your community. I think it's really fantastic. And I think the work you do is so great. So happy to showcase what you have going on here. And let's get your socials where people can find out about Prismic, where they can find out about you, where they can find out about Friend Horse, like all the kind of links you would want to direct people to. Just super quick, like I love having you in the community. So thank you right back. I'm just there. I feel like the community is is this big thing that, that you are a big part of. So thank you for being in there. So the socials and stuff, uh, let's see, frontend.horse is the one link that'll point you to a lot of that stuff. But then prismic.io is the CMS that we were chatting about today. I'm on a few different things as myself at uh, Trost Codes. That's T-R-O-S-T Codes. And then... Also at Front End Horse on Twitter. And then uh, if you want to catch any of the streams, it's twitch.tv slash trostcodes. I think that's most of the stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. This is a blast. I guess the final thing I could say is, how much horsing around do you do? 
a little too much horse to go around. Way too many horse puns. I actually had Cassie Evans on stream the other day and before the show, I told her, yeah, I don't think I'm doing the, the horse thing as much as I should be. I should be leaning into it more. And then we start the stream and immediately my new tab window is a collection of horses. It's just like a random new tab that shows the time and a picture of a horse and a quote about horses. And she's like, I think you're doing it enough. I'm like, yeah, you might be right. So uh, maybe a little, uh, just the right amount of horsing around.